0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of
1: being heard.
2: Hi, I'm Michelle Silverstein. I am the co-founder at The Vertical and our COO and what I love about beauty is the element of just self-care and me time. I really came into the beauty industry through a sense of wellness and just that little bit of you know, whether it's five to 10 minutes on myself in the morning, getting ready with the different products I use, mostly moisturizers, but, you know, eyeliner, eyeshadow, whatever it is, that is the self-care element to my day and kind of balances me out.
1: Hi, I'm Jacqueline Grauman. I am our co-founder and our CEO. And what I love about beauty is just how personal it is and just how human-centric the industry is and really progressive in This kind of focus on inclusivity and individuality, I think that, you know, having originally had my roots in the fashion industry, I was always really looking to the beauty industry as innovating and driving forward in that space, and so that's always something that's really drawn me to it and and gets me very excited. From New
0: York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry.
3: Welcome back to another episode of Beauty is Your Business. We're really excited to be here today with Jacqueline and Michelle. Thank you. And also here with my amazing co-host, Abby Wallach. Hi, Kev. Great to be here. Jacqueline, I want to start with you. Can you walk me through the origin story behind the VertiCal and what problem you're looking to solve? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And thanks so much for having us. We are super excited to be here. Actually, listen to the Beauty is your business podcast way way back in the early days when it had first come out? So yeah, very excited and honored to be a guest. I originally started the Vertical because I was working in the fashion industry on the more traditional side and becoming an avid consumer of digitally native brands. And I had gone into that field within the fashion industry of really focusing on public relations and brand positioning because I've always been so drawn to being a part of why people shop where they shop and that emotional connection people have with With brands, And so I started consuming every single digitally native brand under the sun, as you can imagine, from, you know, Glossier to Ritual Vitamins to Air Denim, Parachute Home Bedding, but I really started to struggle firsthand as a consumer and saw that issue of noisiness and confusion in the space because as someone who is reading trading consumer media, I really struggled to keep up with all the brands that I wanted to be buying from. And a few years ago, I had this incredibly frustrating experience where I was trying to remember the specific name of a watch company um, that I wanted to buy as a gift for my now husband and basically spent weeks digging through all of the screenshots and the links that I used to email myself and could not figure it out for the life of me. Ended up getting him a different watch that meant a lot less and really saw this problem that that was, as a consumer, incredibly frustrating. But also from a brand perspective, that was a brand that had found me. And when I went to purchase, I couldn't find it. Uh, and so really started focusing on this issue of reducing confusion for the consumer and removing this burden that they need to navigate this era of new innovative brands on their own. So that's what started the company and really started. The initial thought. And then, what we are, I think, will help to add some context as well. Really building is we're focused on being the digital retailer where consumers can both discover and shop this new era of both innovative and value driven retail brands. So, really curating brands that we call D2C, DNVVs. But thinking, you know, more holistically about what that means to the consumer within our curation, and we actually uh, launched initially as a media site, but expanded to be a multi-vendor retailer, which was always our goal. Just over the holiday season. So,
0: I just want to dig into the vendor aspect right now. So, I can totally understand your passion and vision for wanting to curate. Right, because there are so many brands out there and there's there's actually a lot of noise, so it is hard to differentiate and remember. I, I find I screenshot all the time and then I'm going back, right? So how are you curating the brands and the businesses for vertical, and how are you positioning them? Is it a specific demographic? Is it like verticals, like men's, women's, children's? Like, what's your approach to creating this marketplace to make it easier for the consumer to find these D2C, you know, new and emerging brands, as well as the older brands?
1: Yeah, so we focus our curation, we look for three things. First, that the brand meets up with one of our Vertical values, which are essentially our mission-driven elements. So we work exclusively with brands that stand for something beyond the product. And as a retailer, we are focused on taking that brand-first approach uh, and for very much our grounds in the belief that People don't want to just buy stuff. They want to feel like they're a part of something and feel that connection. That's the first thing. Then uh, second, we look for brands that are producing quality goods that are trusted, really separating ourselves from fast fashion or disposable mentalities. And then finally, brands that take a human-centric approach to both their design and product. And that really comes from who the brand is, this kind of down-to-earth approachability. So, and the reason that we really focus our curation around those defining factors is because D 2 C and the terms D to C and D to BB mean a lot to us within the industry, but that doesn't actually resonate with a consumer. Actually, like if you speak with consumers, they don't know what that means unless they work within the industry or perhaps they're getting their MBA or in a unique circumstance. And so I think that where the opportunity really is here is to make sense of it for the consumer. And that's why we are specific about that curation. But we also are inclusive in terms of the way that we've defined our vertical values to, of course, be very substantial. But we also, for example, have a category called inclusivity and individuality, uh, which is all about brands really putting an inclusive uh, body positivity image at the forefront. So we look at it certainly in a different way than traditional mission-driven retailers that have come before us. And to further answer your question, we work with brands in the women's, men's, and home categories. So really see ourselves as a lifestyle retailer, are not pigeonholing ourselves to be just beauty or just home or fashion, really look at this younger consumer, the lifestyle that they're living and looking to show them products across the board that fit within that lifestyle. So
0: based off of that, I'm curious, how are you building out this this marketplace? How are you getting it out to the consumer? Because it's so expensive today. You know, the cost of acquisition for an eyeball mm-hmm. and a customer is pretty steep. How, what's your go-to-market strategy to build it? How, how long has it been online? Is it just starting? Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't, it is just starting. So what, what so, are your plans? How are you going to
2: You know, yeah kick it up. So we were really strategic. I mean, as Jacqueline had mentioned, we initially launched as a media site at first and then built out a multi vendor what we really look at as a digital retail experience, but very strategic in thinking about it from the media side. We brought in a lot of users or, you know, viewers to the site through organic tactics. And that's just through talking about these brands, a lot of cross-promotion from the brands. And then from there we were able to build a fairly you know, robust audience base that looked at us as a trusted source of credibility amongst these brands and in the industry, and then filter that into our shopping experience. So, you know, today, when you go to a media center, you're reading about brands, oftentimes it will link to the brand's page and they get an affiliate fee on that. We did the, do that for a while, but thinking about it more strategically, how we wanted to create the convenience of single car checkout For our customers, we now just automatically link to our brand. So, you know, a a large proportion of our traffic on our media site came from organic that then just funneled right in. So, when we launched our marketplace in November of 2020, which is, you know, just a little bit over a month from now, we were able to, for the first, I want to say, six weeks, operate entirely off of our organic tactics and then you know, really use our, that customer base to retarget through email marketing was really big for us. So having, you know, if you think about it strategically from a business point of view, having an audience that you can go off from the start and then use your email marketing list, have really dedicated contact, both on social, but also through email information was key for us to get orders in on day one, which we did, which was awesome.
3: That's great. Well, it reminds me a little bit of like Glossier, you know, where you start with an audience, you understand what their needs are interests and stuff. You know, one thing I wanted to kind of peel the onion back on is, Jacqueline, you started with the media site. You've interviewed over 100 D2C founders. And Michelle, I know you've actually been an early team member at multiple success stories like Sakara, ClassPass, and Maid. So, I mean, you guys really Mm -hmm. know this market well. Yeah. And I feel like there's a new digitally native brand starting almost every day. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the overall market and in mm-hmm. your own experiences and, and you know, interviewing brands and, and stuff like that, what the challenges and opportunities are for brand builders. Yeah. I mean, Jacqueline can speak
2: a lot to the conversations she had with brands earlier on because she did. I think it's probably more like 300 brands that she spoke to as opposed to just a hundred tons of discovery before really launching the site and then obviously we talk to brands every single day when we're writing about them because we often do founder interviews and you know want to really interact with the brands in order to understand their stories when we then tell that to our audience base i think that from my experience working in it and abby as you just mentioned it costs a lot to get started um there are so many tools out there today that allow brands to pop up fairly easily. And like, you know, you want to start a skincare company, you just have to find a manufacturer that does it. And I kind of learned this a few years ago, I was talking to a family friend who had started a beauty company that wasn't like high end, a little bit more targeted towards a younger consumer base, but she was telling me her story about how she got started up and They didn't need to know how to actually invent a product or create a product. And there's so many new brands popping up every single day, but then it's kind of how do you fine tune it and get in front of the customer and have that credibility? And there's an even balance and there's a chemistry and a science to that. And I think Jacqueline probably can tell you a little bit more about what she learned from that from the founders. I I know it from the brands I worked at really well, which is super successful brands, but also... There's lots of, you know, little stories here and there to that, but she could tell it a little bit more from the brands that we've talked to and how they get started. And then in turn, we learned a lot when we were starting our marketplace from that too.
1: Yeah, I think that what's super important, just talking to founders and having the opportunity to to talk with hundreds of founders and from really early stage and people that are pre-launch that want to share their idea to founders that are multi-million dollars in revenue. What I found most interesting is really when you talk to these founders at every different stage and kind of talk to them about what they need specifically in a retailer and how we can combat these problems of noisiness in the market, right? And of course, these are all people that I was having conversations about the business with and that were really excited about what we were building. And I think that the biggest pain point for them is the way that they're operating Uh, The way that they're building their brand just isn't succinct with the traditional existing retailers that are out there. I don't think that that's a surprise to any of us. We've all kind of seen that kind of conflict. But as the market becomes noisier and there's this inflection point with, as you mentioned, new brands every day and a consumer that's really confused and really overwhelmed and just doesn't have the ability to navigate across it, how we can protect what B2C brands have built in a way that meets what the consumer wants. And that the problem with existing retailers and the main problem that every single founder of every size has to me, said the same thing is that working with traditional retailers is problematic because there's this loss of the brand story and there's this loss of the ability to control the way that the consumer is receiving that information. Because when you take a really dynamic product that's built into a lifestyle as these brands have done, and strip it down and put it on a white background and commoditize it or just put it on a store floor, you've completely lost everything that made that consumer really excited to engage with that brand in the first place. And so, what we're really focused on doing at that point is reimagining what the multi brand retail experience looks like, providing a really convenient experience, but doing it in a way where it's dynamic and engaging and storytelling and you can get to know brands through our site but in a simplified and curated yeah. and trusted way.
2: Yeah, and I think when you think about it from the brand side as their your success really it's so easy to get started but your success really comes down to knowing your customer and and we want to make sure that we're not letting go of that story that the brands are telling when we put them on our platform. Because they do know their customers so well, we know our customer. We know our customers looking for convenience and they're looking for discovery. But they know like the story they need to tell, like the you know at Sakara, we knew that women or even men, but it really it's definitely dominated with females at first. But that they really knew people were looking for nutritional help and a new way to get convenient good meals. And the girls there spent tons of time researching around health and wellness and and even beauty and just knowing it front to back in terms of what you should put in your body and why you should put it in that went into their product. And we really have put down the science of the vertical in terms of knowing like why our customer is looking for certain brands and products, but why they need help and the parts of their life that we can help with around discovery. And our brands know that as well. And I think that's the success and we want to make sure that we're bringing that forward at all times too.
0: So can you share a little bit about strategically how you work with the brands how, what does that look like I'm, I'm assuming it's a dropship model but I'm not sure and yeah. how do you charge for working together what's your biz- what's your business model basically
2: yeah, great question. So, you know, the Vertical today is entirely off the drop ship, which allows us to scale really fast. And there's so many kind of going back to how there are so many tools out there to start up. We, we work with an amazing tech partner that helps with the facilitation of the onboarding on the back end. And so we work dropship. We don't have to hold on to any inventory that allowed us to get started fairly quickly. We sink into the inventory of our brand partners, allows us to provide options and an experience to the customers very quickly. We take a commission off of every single order, allows us to gain sense of profitability, Where we'll be going down the road is, you know, that business model will be adapting and changing and reacting to our successes and maybe losses over the years. We definitely plan to hold certain products and inventory within our own warehouses and deliver directly to our customers. But right now, yeah, it's all drop ship. And it was really easy to get brand partners onboarded because... We make it so easy on the operations end, on the tech end to get them on. Like, I can pretty much onboard a partner from the point of having the conversation, them signing the contract with us, and getting them onto the site in just a couple of days, which is really unheard of. Like, traditionally in retail, it takes quarters at times to get onto a retail platform or to work with, you know, a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's. And we can do it in just a few days. So, it's very very simple, and we'll probably just you know grow and adapt from there.
0: So once you're onboarded onto the marketplace, what does it look like for a brand to start to generate traffic? So how does that play into the process? Are you charging the brand a monthly fee to advertise, like how they do on Amazon? I mean, what's your plan to th- Where are you today, and what's the plan as you grow and yeah. evolve?
1: Because
0: <laughs> well, that- it will grow and evolve.
1: Yeah. So right now, today, we're taking a commission of sales. But as far as offering marketing services and sponsored content, that is certainly in our roadmap. We've seen it's fun to just like track which products are our top sellers and cross compare with our homepage and our email marketing. There's a very clear story there, which is that, of course, when we're putting the products and brands at the forefront, they're getting the most attention and therefore generating the most revenue through our platform. Right now, we are, of course, like just so glad to have such a strong group of the 50 brand partners that we launched with. And of course, they launched with us in our early days and on this first version of our site. And so we are really focused on building them up and supporting them. As much as we can in every way that we can and aren't charging them anything further for doing that. And and so yeah, as I mentioned, we take a commission on sales that will evolve over time. And there's some other exciting ancillary businesses that we have in our roadmap in the future, but that's pretty much the most important part of it for now.
0: So that's great. So that you have all of this cross promotion with the vendors, I guess, or the brands that you're working with. So how are you ultimately driving most of your traffic? Is it through organic? Is it direct? I mean, it's so expensive for the cost of acquisition today. I know because you were started as a media play with content, right? Content is always the best way to drive conversation and traffic. What are you finding now and how is it converting from like the content to the commerce piece?
2: So, today, our sites are two separate platforms. We have our editorial site and then our shopping site, but we're building out the next version, which is all like one umbrella that holds everything together and will be super dynamic between the two. But as far as conversion from the editorial site to the the shopping site, we're seeing extremely overarching our goals as far as what we thought conversion would be. so people are reading and digesting and then shopping and clicking through and you know, I would say about. 25 to 30% of our orders are coming directly, like as someone that came from the editorial site and then purchasing Mm. as far as conversion goes, which is awesome. I mean, that's a great number. If you're converting to to a sale at 25, I mean, this is all very new data. So as we grow, you know, numbers will change and everything, but it's been super successful seeing that people are coming from the vertical.com and then going to shop.thevertical.com, which is our commerce site we haven't put much money into paid marketing. So like the majority of our business thus far has been technically organic, but we can't necessarily say like the split just yet. Cause our whole plan and our strategy is, is changing on a daily basis, but it's
4: so been, it's, been a very, startup.
0: it's supposed to, yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs>
2: it's been it very goes. exciting to see the success of the business thus far before we turned on paid marketing.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, something else that's just incredibly important to us from a marketing perspective is driving forward with community and really focusing on building community, both on the consumer front as well as on the brand side. There's definitely this like camaraderie around the founders that we're working with and a lot of them know each other. And, but more so on the consumer front, we're really focused also on positioning ourselves alongside individuals that really match up to our ethos uh, that can bring their community to ours. So just with some early stage testing, we had a really awesome micro-influencer program over the holiday season that probably 15 or 20 of our brands partnered with us on. We worked with about 20 influencers that really ranged in size, anywhere from 5,000 followers to over 50,000. We were focusing specifically on micro-influencers to really start with people that have very trusted communities. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was awesome. It was really successful for us from both a traffic and revenue perspective, but also just in terms of working with them to create assets for our brand partners, being able to deliver that value as well, that we're facilitating the additional like creation of content for them and working with these creatives to do so and to storytell about what the Vertical is and all the awesome brands that you can find through us. So that's the beginnings of a larger um, influencer strategy. And we, yeah, certainly have a lot of ideas on the marketing front where we really focus on setting ourselves apart is by being this like human centric, brand first retailer and really telling that story to set ourselves apart from the noise of just another product in your face and also kind of having this trust and authority, but this like down to earth, like humor and wit and using that to create some really engaging marketing materials so that our consumer knows who we are and wants to come back and spend time with us.
4: What if you could tell your story? the story of your brand, your product, the compelling story of the sourcing of materials or ingredients, or even tips for getting the best use out of your products. What if you could engage your consumer, amplify their experience, or even improve conversion or initiate sales at points they don't usually happen? What if you could connect with your consumer wherever they happen to be, in the store on your website in the bathroom or even on the go what would that be worth to you it's time you learned about story from mouth media network short form audio stories consumers can access with their smartphone in brick and mortar locations on physical product or even embedded into your website it's where commerce advertising and the consumer meet being competitive requires every advantage you can implement. So discover StoryDot today at www.storydot.com. That's www.sto.r.i.d.o.t.com.
0: Finding a lot of your traffic and traction coming from your social media efforts, and like where are you most active socially? Because you know, each platform tends to bring a little bit of a different audience, you know, it's all disjointed. So, mm-hmm. how is that going for you, and what are your plans to build that out?
1: Yeah, social media has certainly been a strong driver for us, it's not where we put all of our focus, but on the community front, it's it, incredibly important. Of course, we also see it as another platform to storytell about our brand partners and the founders. So over the holiday season, we'd also, through our holiday campaign, had about 20 of our founders that did takeovers, talked about why they started their companies, what they're doing for the holidays, the fact that, of course, this holiday season was incredibly difficult and different for everyone and what they were doing for it and kind of brought that that personal touch to our stories. I think it's something that we're still playing around with what people really want to see as far as like the length of stories like that and making sure that we're really hitting the nail on the head without dragging things out too long and, and creating it in a format. So we're going to be testing quite a lot with um, short form video content as well in the upcoming months. But yeah, I mean, our Instagram audience is is really important to us. We have a growing and mighty little community going there that's so great
3: I'd love to hear more about like differentiation and why you know I think what's interesting is clearly you had built relationships with a number of founders but I know like the day you mentioned just on LinkedIn that you were going to launch a marketplace that you had over a hundred brands sign up for the waitlist Right. So, and that's not easy to do sometimes when you're starting a marketplace. So as you're building the supply side, what is it that vendors find interesting about you guys and what real problem are you solving and why would they come to you versus, you know, join something else? And like, how big is the market? Like, it's like, are there enough brands for this to be relevant? I'd love to hear more about that.
2: I mean, there are thousands of DMVB brands out there, and then within those, there you know, there's a very high percentage of those brands that falls within the vertical value set and sort of how we curate around um, mission driven elements. So I think that today, you know, if you're going to be a really high quality retail brand that comes out, you need to have some sort of strategy around being mission driven, or else the consumer is just not going to want to buy your product. So the the addressable market is you know, growing and growing every single day. I think that we've also seen tons of new products come out, especially in the past few months. I think COVID will accelerate that as well. There's a lot of people you know, incubating, thinking, building. So I, I don't ever really see that being a problem where we're going to run out of inventory or run out of brands on the site. And we really want to continue to build upon one of our main KPIs this year is to continue to build upon our supply and the brands that we have so that there's something for every type of customer that comes to us. I think, the reason why we had such amazing reaction when we just announced that we were launching a waitlist and we were going to be building a marketplace is one, like the credibility that we had built up as a brand and that we spoke very like truly to the thought process, the voice, and just the way that a lot of our brand partners think and feel. We just were a retailer that, or a potential retailer, future retailer, since it was also new in July when we launched our waitlist but we operate in a very similar way to our brand partners. Um, So like, you know, Huron is an amazing product on our site that sells really, really well. They do clean men's skincare and Matt, the founder there, he's just very clear that like we operate in a very similar way to how he runs his company. So we spoke the same language as him. And then, our ability, once we were started talking to brands and getting them onboarded, it, it just our ability to get them on quickly and to work in the same way that they work. We can API into their Shopify stores, or even if they're not on Shopify, just get into their sh- stores to onboard their product catalog very easily. And then order management is seamless on there and they don't have to actually go into another portal to work with us. It just shoots from our store to their store. And that's all through Convictional, the company we work with. So we're speaking the same language as them. We're operating the same exact way. Our ethos is the same as theirs Our company values are the same as theirs, which you don't always get at a retail partner. I mean, you can sell into like little boutiques. I know at Sakara when we started doing retail for our clean boutique, they often, you know, they would work with companies like Free People and little stores here and there in the city. And that spoke to like the same kind of mindset as Sakar did. But as far as like a larger retailer, I wouldn't say it back then at the time, things have changed. And as you grow, it's different. But there maybe wasn't someone that worked in the same exact way. Well, we're working out in the same way these DMVs work, which, you know, Nordstrom might pick you up for a season and then drop you. We're looking to have long-term partnerships.
3: So, you know, I I think just like kind of building on that, I think it's interesting. If I take back the conversation, like clearly we know conscious consumerism is probably one of the biggest trends and social norms that are happening. Over $150 is meant to be spent on sustainable brands, and that's just like one of the values, right? So I think that's interesting. And the number of digital native brands are growing. They're growing at 3X. Others, so all those are interesting things. But I think one of the challenges is, I think, funding going to the early stage businesses. There are a lot that were overfunded, you know, economics, you know, so that's kind of been this interesting trend. We talked a lot about customer acquisition costs, but what are the synergies they have working under you guys? What are the problems you're solving for the supplier base because they're under that umbrella, yeah. whether it's curation and trust? Talk to me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, nine and 10 millennials would switch brands to one associated with a cause. And as we've run focus groups for our current site and as well for the future version of our site, we have had such a strong reaction to something that's special about our site, which is that you can actually filter by our VertiCal values. So you can go onto the site and shop specifically products with clean ingredients, or that are, you know, reducing waste or that have sustainable materials or women's empowerment. Sorry, I'm just listing off our VertiCal values at this point. But that's something that's really unique and special to us. That That's something that certainly the brands want to be associated with. Uh, when we launched the marketplace, we created assets for our brand partners that showed our brand seal, which we really like position as a stamp of approval alongside the specific values that their company was approved for when matching up to ours. And that is something that they were really excited to share with their audiences, even though, of course, that wasn't a requirement. for um, the marketplace, so we generally do all the marketing and bring consumers to the platform to support them. But we've seen this kind of synergy because of the way that we're leaning into our values and, and driving community.
2: Yeah, and I think direct to consumer has was amazing. Like 5 years ago, why not start a company and sell directly to consumers? You can own all of that and you could pass the cost off to them. But brands soon realized, like especially as Karen you mentioned, they were overfunded. They were spending all this money on acquisition and the retention wasn't there, LTV wasn't there, and they just weren't keeping the customers. So they need some sort of retail partner to work with them. We fit into their mold of retail partner, which I think is why we were so successful with launching with 50 brand partners in just honestly like three weeks and getting them onboarded and signed on for the start and will continue to grow from there. But VC funding is pulling back in general. It's really pulling back on consumer goods. So they're going to need a partner even more as they think about it. And we're sort of there to help them out. And that's because you, know, you just can't sell on your own channels today. You need to broaden your base. And we'll probably face these same sort of challenges, like how are we going to broaden our exposure and our base. Is it going international? Is it opening brick and mortar stores? Like It's things that Jacqueline and I think about and you know, brainstorm on every single day. But the brands are facing that themselves and they are starting to see that they need to sell outside of their own channels too.
1: Yeah. And you see that now in new founders in the DNBB space that are coming to market. Whereas a few years ago, there was, of course, this mentality of selling exclusively on your own platform. And for all the reasons that we completely, you know, that I, from my background in the traditional retail side, like really resonated with it, they want to build this relationship with a consumer, they want to protect the brand. We totally get that. And we're trying to build a business around that. But the newer founders that are launching in the space, of course, have an understanding of how difficult it is to reach the consumer. And so they're really coming to market, and as they're going through their funding processes, which, as you mentioned, are much more difficult, and given the economics, has definitely shifted. But the ones that are fundraising, or whether they're bootstrapping on their own, they know that they need retail partners, and that's definitely a big change from a few years ago. I just wanted
0: to ask in regards to, I mean, it's just interesting how the world has evolved, right? And I think a lot of it has also happened to do with COVID and the situation that we're in. So the direction you're headed is really a great direction and can really help brands evolve and grow as a part of a bigger marketplace. I love the strategy. When you say cause related, can you share a little bit more Intel on what you mean by that? So I know you mentioned Jacqueline clean, right? But are you talking, so, so that's like a given, you know, clean, sustainable. Those things are of course important. I guess those are cause related. How are you tackling give back things of that nature? Because, you know, it, it goes hand in hand, right? But brands starting, they don't have a lot, but they want to yeah. give. So how is that being a piece of what you're doing? Yeah. How is that discussion evolving and how are the brands reacting to it, I guess?
2: So philanthropic is one of our vertical values. So we look at it across multiple different, we have 10 values and they cover a lot of different things. Some of our brands hit one, some of our brands could hit all 10 te- technically and we did that strategically one because we think there are so many amazing brands out there that are doing so much good for the community that we want to make sure that we're talking about all of them especially with our every brand has a story is something that we say often and that is like we want to be able to tell that story no matter what it is it doesn't have to be just sustainability or ethical production like that's great and that's really important how do we get the customer that really cares about it but is just a you know a human being living in today's like Commercial world, and so we we want to make sure that we're looking at it holistically. And so we have the brands that are philanthropic. Not every single brand has to be that way. Some of them only care about that. That's where they put all their bags. We have, I think, one brand that really is that's their leading thing. And then some of them, you know, make sure that they're creating with sustainable practice. They have ethical production. And other brands are just clean beauty, or they're just women's empowerment, which is kind of for women by women or women owned. And we want to make sure that we're talking about those brands too, because they have amazing products. And then we wheedle down on the kind of the curation around quality and that they have a unique voice so that we're just not putting everything out there, but that there's still that sense of, you know, these are great tested products that at the Vertical we've talked about and we stand behind and, and we've tried like Jacqueline and I actually, whether it's Jacqueline and I or someone on our team, we try to test out every single product that um, is on our site so that we can say, hey, I believe in this.
3: You know, it's such an interesting point. I'm just thinking from a customer standpoint, like obviously Amazon's super convenient. There's so many brands on there, but from a customer standpoint, there's also like, you don't know what you're going to get. And the quality assurance level is like, Zero, <laughs> So I could see just going to like a trusted site where the value prop of price to value ratio is good, but also, you know, that it's had some kind of filter yeah. and that the quality products you get are good. So it's super interesting. Yeah,
2: like we've all been there where we've ordered like something on Amazon and it comes and it's like a totally different look, feel and size than what we thought it would be from their,
3: their site. And you're just like, how did this happen? Right, 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 right. So yeah awesome. well, thank you guys so much for sharing your story. you know, sharing like what you're seeing in the market and the opportunities really exciting. like clearly, there's digitally native brands are the future of where dollars are going, so it's it's cool to see that someone's there to help solve and accelerate the growth of those brands, especially the ones that are doing good. So up next, we're going to hit the pan with Jacqueline and Michelle and get down to the deeper elements of them as amazing
4: human beings. Culture starts at the top and great customer experience. The only competitive strategy in today's world is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, customer experience from the top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Pan.
3: This is one of my favorite parts of the show where we get to hit the pan with the founders of the VertiCal to figure out who gets to ask the first question gonna of the salon chair and it lands on Abby. So, okay, Michelle, I'm going to ask you
0: first, during this time in COVID, what is your self care routine? Cause I'm sure you're working very hard and diligently <laughs> around the clock, like all, you know,
2: startups, how yeah. are you taking care of yourself? That's a good question. So it's definitely changed with COVID. And I should preface like, I come from the wellness world. I'm a certified health coach, which I don't practice anymore, but did in my, you know, early 20s. And so self care has always been something that's super important to me. I think, and I've always been really active. I played sports in college and, you know, obviously worked for ClassPass, which I think working out is just like a prerequisite to be able to be an employee there. But it's really changed. I think I also candidly went from living alone prior to COVID to my boyfriend and I living together full time, which is exciting, but definitely takes away from like me time. My morning workout is become my self-care, like an element to success. And you can ask Jacqueline knows this about me. If I don't work out in the morning and it could be anything from like twenty minutes of just stretching or like lying on my yoga mat and not actually moving. If I'm too tired to actually doing a full on hour, like Tracy Anderson workout, which is my favorite. I, I have to do it in order to think that day it's almost better than coffee, despite the fact that I do drink a lot of coffee on top of that too. But that is like my one self care. If it doesn't happen during Monday through Friday, I'm just not a real human being. And that wasn't the case before. Like I could go, you know, days and just my morning commute would be my like workout to walking to work from, you know, the 20 blocks that I had between my apartment and my office. But now it's like I have to hit the mat no matter what, or else there isn't success in my day. And then shutting off at night is really important. You know, whether maybe it's eight o'clock that I finish working because we're, you know, founders and startup people, and it's just it could be around the clock, but taking time to have dinner with my significant other is really important. So we just like sit down and maybe we're watching TV while we're doing it, but just walking away from work or slack or whatever it is, and just spending some time is kind of my self-care in general. That sounds perfect.
0: (laughs) And what about you, Jacqueline? How are you taking care of yourself during this crazy
1: time? That is such a great question. It's you know, certainly been evolving. I won't say that I've had a perfect routine down pat. I've been trying to be more of a morning person and get up and have the same routine as some days I do and start with a workout and some days I don't. So it's a little bit more imperfect. But I think that, yeah, finding time to shut off at night is something that I've been historically bad at ever since I first started the company. And it's definitely something I've been working on more recently. I also moved to Williamsburg recently and my husband and I, we have a little mini golden doodle and he is, you know, my best friend during COVID and we get to, I make sure to take long walks to start my day and sometimes to end my day and that certainly helps. But I think just, you know, for me, it's been really important to take the pressure off trying to have this, you know, perfect routine and understand that it's it's just things are crazy right now and there's a lot going on for all of us personally with COVID. There's a lot going on, of course, within our country that's distracting and, and takes energy. And so I think i just been trying to take it day by day.
0: It's all we could do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: cool. So last minute, this one here. And, uh, on Abby again. Wait, let me spin it again. Okay, fine. It lands on me. (laughs) Um, So everyone's always crushing it and all the things and, you know, but it's hard being a founder. It's hard being a founder, right? So, but tell me about what has been energizing both from different perspectives, Jacqueline, you coming from traditional retail industry where it's been done a certain way to doing this and Michelle from being an early employee to now being a founder. What do you love about what you're doing today? Yeah, I think
1: working with our brand partners and just working with founders has always been my favorite part of, of building this company. Certainly can no longer go do in-person meetings the way that we used to. So I think just trying to have, you know, Facetimes over Zooms when possible has been big. But, I you know, big moments within... The past year since the start of COVID, uh, for me certainly has been really energizing to bring Michelle into the business. Uh, Michelle came into the business last May, yeah. and that has made it a lot less isolating, just as a founder in general, especially during COVID, and a lot more fun to build a company as a team. Yeah, obviously, having worked at the
2: startup industry for about eight years now, I've you know definitely the building part is so big of it and getting your hands dirty. And I've done that at a lot of different companies, I think. And I was consulting also for about a year before I found Jacqueline, but coming on board and finding a partner. And this is not just like, not just a business partner, but also just a colleague in general that you can really trust and work with. I think we both encapsulate like both the left brain and right brain really well in terms of our strengths and weaknesses on either side. And but the trust was always there from day one. And that makes it exhilarating and exciting in a different way that doesn't like bog you down that you sometimes get when you're working with other people has been the most exciting part. I mean, it is hard. Like Karen, you nailed it on the head. Like being a founder is even harder than I ever could have imagined. And then I just had this idea that I wanted to start something one day and that I was going to be a founder. And it was just like always on my journey to be an entrepreneur. And I now I wish like I had just been like, Kept my mouth shut and maybe done other things because <laughs> there's the times you're just like, why am I doing this? But it's also so exhilarating. And having someone that it's kind of like finding your significant other and you're like, oh, like this is my soulmate. Like Jacqueline's like my life partner soulmate in work. And we kind of <laughs> are just like, there are days where we're like, yeah, of course we fight. And of course we kind of hate each other. We have to like stop talking for a few hours, but it always works. And there's always this element of trust, which is really quite amazing. And it's been really fun to find out in my career versus just my personal life too.
1: Yeah. And I think it's such a important thing to talk about just, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up, Karen, just because it is really hard starting a company. And I think that people don't talk about it enough. I think there's kind of this like, perception of the way that founders that have been really successful and that have raised a lot of money are kind of perceived in the media or, you know, self-position themselves. And I think it's really easy when you're starting a company early on to look at that and feel like it's so difficult to measure up and to get there. And like, that's the success story. And I think, you know, Michelle and I talk about this all the time, that there's so much smoke and mirrors and people don't talk about how hard it is enough. And I think it's like really important to talk about because it's also so exciting. Uh, But I think there needs to be more of a human element about the way that founders approach the space and perceive the space. And people need to give themselves a little bit more slack, I think, to learn and get there and be a part of that like early stage founder community.
0: I talk about it all the time.
3: Oh, good. <laughs> like, like, so and sounder awesome therapy. Me, I've lived it. I get it. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. Do you have any final thoughts for listeners?
2: Just definitely, you know, go obviously check out The Vertical at shop.thevertical.com and that will connect you to the editorial side of the site. And we're really, you know, building this year in terms of enhancing the customer experience and the options for the customer. So, We're really excited to hear with like founders, customers, you know, anyone in the industry, if you want to work with us on the brand side, like there's, if you scroll down, you can apply. It's just, we're really excited to meet more people. Amazing.
3: And what's the best way people can get in touch? The best way to get in touch with us is to just go to
2: shop.thevertical.com and then scroll down and either hit contact us, or if you're a brand to just directly apply as a brand right there.
3: Great. Well, um, Jacqueline and Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your story, your knowledge about the market. We're really excited to hear about it early and look forward to hearing about the amazing successes and how you're helping to grow the community. So thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. And as always, it's such a pleasure to do this with you, Abby, my amazing co-host.
0: Thanks for having me. Great to meet you, ladies. Good luck. It sounds very exciting.
3: And thanks for everyone else for tuning in to another episode of Beauty is Your Business. This is Karen Moon, and we are signing off. Hugs and kisses.
0: This has been Beauty is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.